Well, good afternoon. Happy Sabbath, everyone. <laughs> Josh was a little bit shorter than I am. Well, it's been a very interesting week. Um, I hope all of you were able to stay out of the uh, out of the rain and out of the flooding. Um, definitely, a lot of people are facing challenges due to, to due to flooding and losing their homes and. Uh, just the whole sentiment of this week felt a little bit low, and I don't know about you, but yeah, it just felt like a challenging week um, and, and a busy week as well. Uh, this morning we had to go to Clyde um, North and spend the morning with them at their church, and so it was a bit of a rush for us just driving an hour down, going and preaching for the morning, and then driving an hour back up and getting ready for this afternoon. But um, yeah, just thank you all for those of you who were able to join us, and for those of you who are joining us online, welcome. We're glad that you can join us. I'm just going to invite you to have a word of prayer as we begin. <laughs> Father God, we just want to thank you for the Sabbath, a day where we can take a break, a break from the stresses and the difficulties and the frustrations of the week and um, rest in you. And Father, as we explore this idea of um, experiencing your blessing, I just want to pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts, that you would give us encouragement. And in these moments where we feel the stresses of life um, and this desire to create our own blessing, I pray that you would teach us to look to you and to receive the blessing that you have in store for us. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. In 2014 and 2015, the word blessed became uh, quite a popular hashtag. And there were different entertainers and different athletes who would regularly say, I am blessed. And I suppose this was to convey humility and gratitude. And at the same time, it was a way of kind of sliding in personal achievement at the same time. It's almost as if it, um, individuals were able to say, I know I've done something incredible. And they're also acknowledging it's not only that they're not the only ones responsible for their achievements. And so it was almost kind of like a humble brag. And this caught on and social media influencers begin to use hashtag blessed. And um, it just kind of went viral on various posts. And, um, you know, I remember looking on Instagram or Facebook and you just kind of see these posts, just got into my first home, hashtag blessed. Just made my first million, hashtag blessed. Uh, just got a job, or, or excuse me, and this caught on, and people started using this hashtag. And um, it almost even became commonplace. I got into grad school, got my first job, and of course, hashtag blessed. And it kind of made me think, the usage and understanding of the word blessed has shifted, and now it kind of means Look at my amazing life that God has made sacred. And it's almost like a double brag. Like, how great my life is, and God did it. The secular community kind of observes this phenomenon. There have been different articles that have popped up since, and I find them interesting. And this is uh, one of the memes that kind of popped up as a result. And it's a picture of Ryan Gosling. And he says, hey, girl, that inspirational quote totally masks the narcissism in your selfie. Hashtag blessed. Well, what does blessing mean in the Bible? And I kind of want to explore this concept. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, the Bible says, So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing 
with which the water teems, and that moves about in it, according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. So here the Bible introduces the very first blessing. And in the Bible, the animals receive the first blessing. And that, that blessing is the ability to take on God's creative power to then multiply and procreate and fill the land. So God's blessing initially is about sharing the ability to produce and multiply life. Next, God passes on a blessing to humanity. And in the same chapter, verses 27, verse 28, it says God creates humanity in his own image. And in verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So here, the blessing is passed on to humanity, but there's a layer of added meaning. meaning. Yes, humanity has takes on the ability to procreate and multiply, but also they have authority and the ability to rule over the earth. So God's blessing really is about the ability to be a steward, to rule over the world and cause it to flourish with life. And so as God passes on this idea of blessing from his followers to even us, that concept of blessing is that, the ability to be a steward and cause life and cause life to flourish. Well, in the Bible, one of the early followers of God is Abraham. And as God interacts with Abraham, he also introduces blessing. Notice Abraham's blessing. God says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So, there are very similar elements to the first blessing. The idea of uh, promoting life, being a steward of flourishing life, having authority. And there's one added element here, which is God basically says, I have your back. Anybody who attacks you, I'm going to kind of pay that back. So throughout Abraham's family, this blessing gets passed on from generation to generation. And today, I just want to explore the life of Abraham's grandson and his interaction with this blessing. Over this past series of God's uh, of exploring God's mission, we've already spent a fair bit of time with Abraham and Isaac, and so today we're going to be talking about Jacob. So the Bible introduces Jacob with these words. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old. He married Rebekah, and she has the same challenges that her mother, uh, mother-in-law had, which she can't have children. So in verse 21, Abraham prays on his wife's behalf, and the Bible says that God answers his prayer, and Rebecca becomes pregnant. And uh, in this case, she becomes pregnant with twins. And I don't know what it's like to have twins, but um, yes, I, 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 <laughs> I imagine it's very, very challenging. <laughs> So here, Rebecca has twins, and in verse 22, it says, The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? And so she went. when she went to inquire of the Lord, the Lord said to her, 
Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger uh, than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Sorry, I just read that. (laughs) Continuing on, verse 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out. Uh, The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So here, we're introduced to this individual named Jacob, and God basically says Jacob is going to be the blessed, he's kind of like the blessed chosen one out of the two. Um, Now, the interesting thing is that he's the younger brother. And usually in that culture, um, the practice of that day was that the older one is uh, held in highest esteem. And uh, I come from an Asian culture, and it's the same in in that situation. The eldest son of the family kind of takes on the responsibilities of the family and is in charge of taking care of the family, providing for the family. They kind of make the family decisions and also... Um, they are held in charge of taking care of the parents, especially as they get older. And so uh, my brother holds that responsibility. And so while his younger brother is in Australia, uh, enjoying life in Melbourne, and <laughs> Galen's in the back like, woohoo! <laughs> my brother's in the U.S. taking care of the family and holding down the fort. And so thank you, thank you, young. <laughs> and And so it is in this culture, Esau has the birthright, he has the authority, he has the blessing. But here God flips the narrative and says Jacob is going to be the one that ultimately receives that blessing. Now, what's interesting is that Jacob's name in Hebrew, uh, it means heel grabber. Um, Now, there's this Hebrew idiom, and... Basically, I suppose it's communicating when somebody walks by and you stick your foot out and you trip somebody, um, the Bible depicts that person in a certain light. And so this idiom kind of communicates deceiver. Uh, There's just a certain personality um, that does that. And, you know, growing up, me and my friends would kind of see who who could trip the other person the most. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but I'm glad my son just walked out because he's not going to learn from this. Um, sorry, Naomi Andrews still in the back. <laughs> Micah just ran up to the window. <laughs> oh, nothing. <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever seen like when people go walking, and as you're walking and your back foot gets lifted, um, if you swipe the person's foot, they naturally kick to the side and then if you get good at it, you can just keep going over and over and over again. And basically, we used to play this game, who can get the most trips in, right? And really, you know, kids are just, you know, we're, we're learning how to grow up and be kind and loving people. But at that time, that was the cool thing. And here is Jacob's name. His whole personality and character is made up of that. There's another heel grabber in the Bible that's mentioned. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, um, at the fall of humanity, uh, the serpent is given this curse, and God kind of pronounces this judgment on the serpent, and he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, you will strike his heel. So the name Jacob or heel grabber, it's not a positive name. 
Um, you know, actually, I have a friend named Jacob, but it's like, you know, with some theological studies, like, I don't know if Jacob's like a really great biblical name. <laughs> his, 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 it gets better as the story goes by. But anyways, that's some background of, uh, of, of Jacob's name. So that's what his name represents. So this deceiver, notice, is promised a blessing. And the story of Jacob basically shows God as one who already promises Jacob, I'm going to bless your life. And Jacob, his entire life, really tries to search for and manipulate this blessing on his own terms. And so we're going to see throughout the story of Jacob, him really trying to create his own blessing. And of course, the challenge or the uniqueness of the story is God already wants to give Jacob this blessing. And he just tries to get it um, according to his own making. So in the next scene, we're going to visit a few episodes in the first episode, we're going to see Jacob the deceiver trick his brother and negotiate his brother's birthright, even though God already promises it to him. So there's this famous story where Jacob's older brother Esau comes in from the field after a long day, and he is just starving. And he sees Jacob making this red stew. And um, in the Hebrew, that red stew is called Adam. And it's interesting because in the Bible, Esau is called Edom. And so Edom wants some Adam. And I, there are a lot of lyrical, uh, linguistic connections in the Bible. That's one of them. And so Esau goes, I'm starving. Give me some of that fruit. Uh, give me some of that food. And Jacob goes, I'll give you this food if you give me your birthright. And Esau goes, well, what good is it if I'm going to die anyway? So give me, give me the stew. Now, if you were if we were to kind of modernize the story, you know, back then they didn't really have contracts. It's the equivalent of somebody. It's the equivalent of a, a business partner coming in and going, "Man, I'm really hungry. I see you've got something there. Would you share that food with me?" And as a business partner, I look at him and I go, um, "Yeah, but first, sign over your half of the company, and I pull out a contract." Like, how dodgy is that? But that's exactly what happens. And Esau doesn't think twice, and he just goes, yep, okay, give me the food. <clears throat> so that's scene one. The deceiver deceives. Here's the next scene. In the next scene, Jacob's father Isaac is getting old, and he's blind, he's about to die, and Isaac tells Isaac tells his son Esau, can you go hunt this animal and make me my favorite dish? And that way, I would like you to feed me, and I can finally give you your blessing, and I can die a peaceful man. Well, Jacob's mother hears about this, and she knows about this prophecy that God has given. And so she runs and tells Jacob, hey, Isaac has told Esau to go make him one last meal. I'm going to make you the meal first. We'll dress you up so that you look and smell like Esau, and you can go take that blessing for yourself. Jacob happily obliges, and he goes into his father, and he serves him this meal. And as Isaac eats this meal, um, he blesses his son, and here is that blessing. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field. 
that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. So if you look at this blessing, it's made up of those similar components. This ability to be prosperous, this ability to cause life to multiply and to flourish. And here, Isaac blesses Jacob. Now this decision changes the course of Jacob's life because Esau hears about this and he is furious because he recognizes Jacob takes Esau's authority and Jacob's t- Jacob takes Esau's prosperity and his ability to uh, flourish in a supernatural way. And so this, uh, basically Esau gets so angry, he says, I'm going to kill my brother. And Jacob has to flee to his uncle. And this is the third scene. Now, when he runs to his uncle uncle's home, Jacob meets his match. The swindler gets swindled. And I'm just going to summarize because there's a few chapters here. There's a lot of text. But in summary, Jacob is deceived out of 20 years of his life. He's tricked into working for his uncle who promises him wives and wealth. And throughout the 20 years, his uncle uh, changes his wage multiple times. But throughout those 20 years, Jacob's uncle recognizes that prosperity seems to follow Jacob. And so even though he's tricking him, he really wants to keep him as close to him as possible. So then Jacob, in return, he swindles the swindler who swindled him. It makes sense that these two individuals are related, right? And so basically what he does is Jacob manipulates the birthing of his uncle's flocks, and he's able to gather the strongest of his uncle's flocks, multiply them as his own, and leaves his uncle's flocks depleted. And by this stage, Jacob is very wealthy. He's married to the daughters of his uncle, and he continues to encounter God's blessing, and he realizes, I have to leave my uncle's home because this is becoming an unhospitable place. So Jacob flees from his uncle, but really he's fleeing out of the frying pan into the fire because who's waiting for him as soon as he runs away from his uncle? His brother. And this is really where I want to spend the time of of this sermon. Jacob recognizes my life is in danger. Like my brother is going to end my life. And so he prays to God, God, please help me. And for me, the biggest question is, what is Jacob going to do now that he's prayed? Well, the story goes, in Genesis chapter 32, verses 13 to 18, he spends the night, and from what he had with, uh, with him, he selected a gift for his brother. So now he's going to try and bribe his brother not to kill him. So it's kind of like, hopefully you would have learned from all these difficult experiences, but he's just back to his own tricks. It's like, I'll, I'll bribe him. So he sets aside 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, 
And he said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to? Yeah, <laughs> who do you belong to? We're in the middle there. And where are you going? And who owns all these animals in front of you? Verse 18, then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau, and he's coming behind us. Actually, we're just going to pause here for a second. So picture Esau splits up this gift, or excuse me, Jacob splits up this gift into stages. Stage one, all these animals. Stage two, stage three. So his brother's going to come up thinking, I'm going to get this guy. And then he just comes across these gift upon gift upon gift. And you kind of get the picture of how wealthy Jacob is. Like this is a present. And granted, it's his life. So the present better be good, right? But you get a picture of how wealthy he really is. Well, picture being God. You're wanting to raise up this individual who's supposed to represent you. And you're trying to show him, I am here to protect you. I'm here to cause you to prosper. I'm here to guide your life. But Jacob just keeps taking matters into his own hands. So what is God going to do? And here is this challenging part of God's interaction with Jacob. God comes down and wrestles with Jacob. He goes, okay, I've tried to give you blessing. I've tried to give you promise, but you will not step away from your ways. So now there's going to be a physical altercation. So we read Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 26. The text says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. Now, this is a really incredible story because a supernatural human being, or a supernatural human being, God wrestles with Jacob and he wonders, why is he so strong? Now, in the Bible, Whenever we think of strong individual, a strong individual, the story of Samson comes to mind. He's like given this uh, superhuman endowment of strength, and he kind of um, he's just like the biblical superhero, right? And yet, in the story of Jacob, it says that God wrestles with him, and he just kind of goes, "Why is this guy so strong?" Um, if you read Genesis 29, there's this huge stone that's covering this well. And normally, uh, several shepherds are required to kind of remove this stone. But when Jacob sees his future wife, Rachel, he goes, wow, this woman is beautiful. And he goes, and he just moves the stone by himself. And so you get this picture of this really strong individual. Well, here, the Bible says that God wrestles with him, gets tired of, and touches the socket of his hip, or, or uh, the, the Hebrew word is thigh, and he dislocates Jacob's um, hip. Well, I just want to explore that one concept, this touching of the thigh. 
Now, in the Bible, the Hebrew word touch can also be strike. And really, there isn't a way to differentiate between these two words. It's just context that dictates touch versus strike. If we continue on, um, cool, you can see the top of the text right there. I don't know if, will it, no. Okay, right there. <laughs> it says, all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. And I just want to focus on the word loin. And if you just, I've screenshotted, and this next slide is the next bit down. So there's that word loin, the word yarek. And if you go to yarek, basically the word is thigh. It's not loin, it's thigh. And so going back to the text, basically the word thigh, it's talking about um, Abraham's ability to procreate. And so when the text says that God touched the thigh of Jacob, he really punched him between the legs. And I know that kind of changes the whole nature of the story. And, it, and the question naturally is going to be, what? Like, this is not how the Bible story is told, <laughs> especially in children's books. But if you actually look at the original text, that's actually what happens. He gets punched between the legs. And, and there's this really, really important lesson that God is teaching Jacob. Jacob has spent his whole life trying to create his own blessing. Like God goes, hey, Jacob, I'm going to be in your life. I'm going to bless you. And the whole time, it's wrapped up in Jacob's own efforts. And God says, enough. So your ability to create your own blessing, I'm taking that away. And basically, he gets punched so hard, his hip gets dislocated. If we keep reading in the text, you'll notice that Jacob is quite severely wounded, and he replies, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asks him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Now picture this. Here, Jacob is about to meet the person who's going to take his life, his older brother, and God essentially takes away his ability to run. And from that point in time, Jacob becomes um, disabled. Like He cannot walk properly. He can't run and he can no longer create his own blessing. And what we see here is there's this shift from this moment and the last moment that the Bible mentions about Jacob. I want to introduce that to you. Genesis 35, verses 9 to 13. After Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give you this land to your descendants after you. 
Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. So there's a lot of similarity between Genesis 35, the blessing here, and the blessing in Genesis 32. But the difference is Jacob asks God, what's your name? And the first time, God doesn't tell him. But the second time, God says, I am God Almighty. Also, the first time, God doesn't pass on the blessing that he's given to Abraham. He just says, okay, I'll bless you. But what blessing does he give? He gives Jake, He takes away Jacob's ability to create his own blessing. But the second time in Genesis 35, God passes on his grandfather's blessing, and he uses the special words, right? You're going to be the father of a great nation. I'm giving you this land. And so something happens between Genesis 32 and Genesis 35 that prepares Jacob or Israel to receive the fulfillment of this blessing. And I'm just going to highlight three of them in closing, and I'll just mention it really quickly. The first thing is, when he goes to his brother, there's genuine repentance, and his brother is like, you know what, keep your gift. And he says, no, this belongs to you. There's this genuine repentance that takes place in Jacob's life. Secondarily, in the next chapter over in Genesis chapter 33, excuse me, 34, Jacob's sons do this really bad thing by basically murdering this whole town. Um, And Jacob rebukes his sons, and he says, listen, what you did was deceitful. And Jacob recognizes that these kids, these children that came from his own, uh, that came from him, he takes responsibility and he acts as a moral compass. And finally, right before this instance in Genesis chapter 35, Jacob uh, commands his family, get rid of your idols. Now, this is very significant because usually when we think of idolatry in the Bible, there's kind of like this zero tolerance policy when it comes to idolatry. It's one of the very first commands that are mentioned in the Ten Commandments, where God says, don't have any other gods before me, and don't worship graven images. This is zero tolerance rule. But when you look at the actual application of this, um, this happens at the end of Jacob's life. This means there was idolatry throughout Jacob's life, there was idolatry throughout Isaac's life, and there's idolatry throughout Abraham's life. It's like three generations of uh, polytheism that's going on here in this family. And it just goes to show the patience of God in working with Jacob and his family. And Jacob recognizes this is not right, and he commands his family, it's time to let go of this. You know, in our church, I, I guess there are several different ways that one could preach on this topic of getting rid of idolatry. And I've kind of made it a point not to harp on um, habits or addictions or idol- like modern-day idolatry. Generally, we don't preach from the front and say, you know, give up your – and there are, there are popular things that are usually mentioned, like uh, drinking, smoking, partying, whatever. And, you know, these things are mentioned all the time in church. And I don't actually know that it's very helpful because when I look at this story – it shows that God is patient for generations. And when Jacob is ready, and when he actually understands, God, it's better without this very thing, then he lets go of it. And for me, I think that's more helpful than any harping or bashing or social pressure that's done in the church. But I do also highlight that Jacob recognizes, yeah, there's this idolatry in our family, and it's time to let go. 
And as he matures, then in the next chapter in Genesis 35, the fulfillment of the promise comes to fruition. And so today, in closing, there are things that we all face in the midst of this post-pandemic era. And I guess the reality is we're not really in at the end of the pandemic, right? People are still getting sick. But anyway, the government has said the pandemic is done. So we'll, just, we'll use that. We'll use that rhetoric. What do we do in a phase or in this era of time where there's so much uncertainty? There's so much, um, there's so many challenges, flooding that's just occurred. We're about to hit an economic recession. I, I guess the reality is we're already in recession, but it's, it's potentially going to get worse. What do we do in that situation? And there are these, there's this tendency to try and create our own life, to create our own blessing, our own prosperity. And really what this story is, really, is teaching us is to learn to seek God's blessing as opposed to creating our own. We serve a God who wants to get involved in our lives. We serve a God who wants to provide. But the greatest challenge is giving him space to do so. And whatever it is that you're going through in your life, I just invite you to take a thoughtful moment and to ask God, God, what does it mean to receive from you rather than take for myself? So I'm just going to ask James to put on a video um, as we close today's talk. The story of the Bible begins with God bringing life out of darkness, ordering our beautiful world, and then blessing all of its creatures. Hold on, blessing. That's one of those funny religious words. Yeah, right. People say a blessing over their meal or after they sneeze. Or just a general way to say that things are going well for me. But in the Bible, a blessing is more specific. The first blessing in the Bible is when God creates animals and he blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the land. Ah, so God's blessing is about flourishing and multiplication of life. Right. It's when God shares his life-producing ability with others. Next, God gives humans an additional blessing that sets them apart from the animals. Not only are we one of God's creatures that can generate new life, we've also been appointed as God's representative image to rule and oversee this whole flourishing world on God's behalf. So part of our blessing is to take care of God's blessing for all creation. And God wants us to rule while trusting in his abundance, to eat from the tree of blessing, that is, the tree of God's own eternal life. Now there is another tree to eat from. Yes, and it represents this decision to try and seize abundance and life on our own terms by our own wisdom. The humans encounter a deceptive creature who tricks them into eating from this other tree, thinking it's a shortcut to blessing. And instead of blessing, this tree brings a curse. A curse? You mean like a magic spell? No, in the Bible, the curse is when God hands people over to the consequences of seizing our own blessing on our own terms. It's a curse because instead of abundance and life, we end up with scarcity, isolation, and death. So God curses the ground, and instead of fruitfulness, there will be famine. Instead of overseeing the world, they will have to work the land until they die. Man. But God also curses that deceptive creature that fooled the humans, saying that a human will come one day to destroy it. And that human will be born into a world of scarcity, where men and women and families and tribes are all locked in violent conflict. If God's blessing is now covered with a curse, how can we flourish? Even more, how can we rule with God? Well, here the biblical story takes an interesting turn. God chooses one couple 
Abraham and Sarah, and God blesses them and says they will become a huge family. Be fruitful and multiply. And there's more. God says that his blessing on Abraham and his family is for this larger purpose, so that through them, God's blessing can go out to all of the nations. So God's plan is to reverse the curse and restore the blessing by first blessing this one family. Right. And this family does experience God's blessing. Even when they journey through times of danger and scarcity, they grow into this huge nation, Israel. And God brings them to a mountain and invites them to be his representatives. Yes, God will bless Israel so that they can become a blessing to the nations. All they have to do is trust and live by God's wisdom. And they're told that this is a choice between life and death, between blessing and curse. Now keep reading, because the Israelites almost never trust God for his blessing. Their story is filled with tales of deception, violent grabs for power, resulting in the ultimate curse, exile from their land and slavery to foreign nations. But Israel's prophets, who lived through all of this, they still trusted in God's promise to Abraham. And they anticipated a future Israelite who would come to restore God's blessing and reverse the curse for Israel and for all the nations. When we turn to the story of Jesus, we find Israel still experiencing the curse, living as slaves to the Roman Empire. But Jesus, he so trusted in God's blessing, he claimed that it was arriving in a new way through himself. He wanted his followers to trust in God's abundance, to share and be generous. And he even taught his followers to bless people who curse them. Jesus would even reverse the curse by healing and restoring people's bodies. God's blessing is being unleashed. Jesus also confronted his fellow Israelites who were in power, and he accused them of getting in the way of God's plan to bless Israel and the nations through them. Those leaders arrest Jesus so they could have him killed. And instead of fighting back, Jesus believed that he was that chosen Israelite who would face the curse that Israel and all humanity deserves, and he would allow the curse to fall on him. Jesus dies the shameful death of a man under the curse. But just as God brought life and blessing out of darkness in the beginning, so here, through Jesus, God reverses death by raising Jesus. The curse is put to death so that the blessing of God's life can spread out once again. After his resurrection, Jesus blessed his followers and he said that his presence would be with them as they learn to trust in God's blessing and share with others. And while death and the curse still have a hold on our world, followers of Jesus trust that the power of God's blessing is even stronger. It means we can live with extreme generosity even when it seems like there's not enough. And that leads us to the conclusion of the biblical story, where every nation is enjoying the gifts of God's abundance, because in God's new world that is sustained by the life-giving power of Jesus, there is no longer any curse. It's my prayer that as we consider God's blessing, that we would experience and receive that blessing and be able to pay it forward and pass it on to those that are around us. And may we experience a life, a flourishing life. Would you pray with me as we close today? Father God, <clears throat> as we consider this challenge of our hearts, which naturally tend to try and create our own blessing through negotiation, through manipulation, through hard work, through many, many different means, 
Father, I just pray that you would teach us to be aware of you in the midst of our lives. And Father, we would just want to thank you for being patient with us, for loving us, um, for always providing a way back for us to be able to come back to you and to really experience your blessing for all that it really is. And I just pray that in the midst of this journey that you would draw us near to you, that you would teach us to see just how good you are. Um, and may it cause us to mature and to grow and to uh, not only take blessing, but to be a blessing. We pray these things in your name. Amen.